0: Jesus.
1: Revelation twelve eleven, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to By the Word of Their Testimony, and here is your host, Etienne McClintock.
2: Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us again on the program. I'm delighted to have your company. I have in the studio, via technology that is, via Skype from Fort Worth, Texas, a very special guest, Christy Christopher. Christy, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. Happy to be here.
2: It's lovely to have you on the program. And I met you while we were doing a trip through the Bible, lands. Towards the end of 2017 And I partly heard your testimony there And I tell you, dear listener You will be blessed by this today It is a remarkable testimony And I haven't even heard all of it yet But I know that God will bless us As we hear how He can transform and change lives So Christy, perhaps we can just start With what you currently do in Fort Worth, Texas
3: What I do currently is I'm an ICU nurse So I actually work in a small hospital In the intensive care setting.
2: Okay. Well, I guess that would keep you fairly busy. Is it shift work or do you just work regular hours there?
3: It is 12-hour shift work.
2: Wow. Okay. So So you'll be on your feet quite a long time. 12 hours is quite a a long shift. Here in Australia, we typically work uh, your eight-hour day. So 12 hours is another 50% on top of that. So I guess I guess that's quite demanding at times, and you'll see some some uh, some very challenging and difficult uh, c- circumstances where people are, you know, having a family concern and relatives concern because ICU is obviously where people have um, come into because they are need critical care.
3: That is correct.
2: Hmm. And uh, you have a, I think you were mentioning before, you have a son. That,
3: uh I do. I have a five-year-old son named Liam. He's actually in kindergarten right now.
2: Ah, okay. Great. Well, there is a bit of a time difference. I think it's about a 17-hour time difference between you and us. So uh, you're a day behind. So we're a day ahead here in uh, in Australia. But listen, oh, wow. yeah, it's, it's quite a difference. It's quite remarkable. But, you know, <laughs> technology makes the world very a very small place, and we can connect around the world so easy and so seamlessly nowadays because of the Internet. But Christy, just before we start talking about the aspects of your testimony, perhaps you can just step us back to the very beginning, the family environment you were born in, where you were born and so forth.
3: Uh, Family environment, I was born into a family with uh, two parents. They're actually still together, uh, mom and dad. And I was born in Pennsylvania, actually. And I lived there until about the age of five. Uh, After that, we moved to Indiana, Texas before... Washington State, then Florida, then North Carolina, Tennessee, and then back to Texas in 1998.
2: Wow. Okay. So you've been in Texas now for, what, 20 years or so? Hmm.
3: Yes. Okay. Yes. Fantastic.
2: Now, Christy, uh, your story is a very interesting one. I think we're not going to dwell too much on uh, your growing up years and that. We're going to get more to uh, the impact that circumstances and so forth had in your own life. So perhaps you can just pick, uh, pick up the story where your testimony really starts?
3: Well, a lot of my testimony actually begins a little bit later in life. Uh, I had dealt quite a bit with depression and anxiety for a greater portion of my life, probably ever since I was a teenager. And uh, I had actually had um, about five suicide attempts. Before it ultimately led me to the depression recovery program in Weimar, California.
2: Okay, so that's Dr. Neil Nedley's depression recovery program?
3: Yes, that's correct. Mm. Uh, So one of the attempts that actually led me to a psychiatric facility. And in that facility, uh, what had kind of transpired to even lead me up to that point was I had struggled with issues with alcohol abuse. So I had had about six years of sobriety, uh, had somehow found myself uh, drinking a bottle of tequila one night, and I took a shotgun that I had, or a handgun, I should say, out into my backyard because I didn't want to make a mess, Mm. and I pulled the trigger, and the trigger jammed. Wow. So, uh, yes.
2: Okay, so... um yeah, you know, sometimes people say, you know, when suicide attempts, people are hoping that they will get caught, and that's a cry for help. You were actually very serious about taking your life at that time.
3: Yes, that is correct.
2: And you said you, you've you've attempted to take your life five times.
3: Uh, that was the fourth time. So the fifth time was after that. That is correct. Uh, I had ended up at a facility called Mesa Springs here in Texas, and. At that point in time, I was on probably about five or six different medications. So I was on, i believe it was the equivalent of four milligrams of Ativan a day. And mm. as I've learned in Dr. Nedley's program, that's a benzodiazepine, and it's very frontal lobe depressing. And so I was on that medication uh, in the psych facility, they had opted to abruptly just stop my benzo. And that can lead to seizures and other withdrawal symptoms. So while I was in the actual facility, I was starting to hear auditory hallucinations. I thought the staff was out to get me. Uh, I was pretty much paranoid, and I realized that was not congruent with reality. Mm. And so they put me on phenobarbital, and they attempted to wean and eventually put me on medication medication. Um, I believe it's called clonopin, and that's when I ended up in Dr. Nedley's care. Was shortly after that.
2: Wow. So, uh, was there anything that sort of triggered you to get into uh, son to drink alcohol at a young age, or was it just social that, social factors?
3: At that point in time, I was really looking for acceptance, and I felt that I didn't fit in. In most scenarios, and so it was more of a a way to try to connect with other people and uh, basically try to numb any type of pain or depression as well. So mm. it, was a, it was a cycle.
2: Okay. So did you was it the uh, the experience of alcohol and the social thing that made you start to drink more, or were you pretty much hooked from from day one when, when you started drinking alcohol?
3: Uh, I knew from day one that I liked it a little too much. And it was something that seemed to follow me throughout uh, part of my life, even into college. So it definitely was something that I had an affinity towards.
2: Right. But the social environment that you were were moving in, that was uh, not uncommon. Everybody was drinking?
3: It was slightly uncommon because I was in the Adventist school system. And I would do it more with um, secular campus and, and do it almost in a way where it wasn't known as much, at least in my mind. Uh, so I kept it more hidden.
2: Okay, interesting. If you don't mind me asking, so when you grew up as a, as a Christian, were you pretty much uh, quite involved in the church or was it just something that was part of your cultural upbringing?
3: It was definitely more cultural at that point in time. I wasn't very involved at all.
2: Okay. Um, and would you say that any of those principles when you were brought up, they sort of did they help you later in life at all, or did it help you in regards to your recovery from depression later on?
3: Now, uh, definitely now. At the time, I didn't see it as much, but I realized that there were a lot of things that did help me along the way. I just wasn't as... I was more blind by it. Like I I wasn't able to see it at the time.
2: Okay. Now, The reason I ask is quite often, you know, people when they see people grow up and that and they've had some religious uh, background or religious education, quite often they think, well, that was just a waste of time. None of that's helped at all. But ultimately, when you look back on life, you can see, well, some of those factors there actually now do play a part in my life. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be as strong in this area and so forth. Right, right. Mm. Okay. So um, where do we go next with your story?
3: Uh, then after, after I went through Mesa Springs and had been through that program, I was in an intensive outpatient program there at that same facility. And I had met some friends or people that I thought were friends in that program. And at some point in time, uh, I had provided a fentanyl patch to a friend and i had never heard of this being done, but he cut it in force and actually put it under his tongue. And he subsequently went into respiratory distress. Oh. And given my ICU background, I was able to call 911, was able to help stabilize him, but he almost died in my car. Mm. And so that actually gave me the idea to try that as well. Wow. So I decided this time it would be for real. And I got a fentanyl patch and I packed a bag, went to a hotel in Glen Rose about an hour outside of Fort Worth and proceeded to do the same thing. Uh, I woke up three days later and I was on the same side for three days because in the ICU, we turn our patients every two hours due to pressure ulcers and circulation. Mm, mm. And so I was basically unable to feel the left side of my body. So I would called my dad. Uh, He had basically been in touch with an FBI investigator. They were being prepared to sell all of my things because I did not have an executor or a will at that point. And so they were presuming that I was dead. And so...
2: Wow. So you you were missing for three days and they had no idea where you were until you made that phone call.
3: That's correct. Mm. Um, So... Through that experience, I ended up back in the same facility again, in the psychiatric facility. My mom had heard of Dr. Nedley's program from a friend. And as the testimony goes on, one of her friends, Lynette, was actually in Houston at the time. And Dr. Nedley, in God's providence, was speaking there. And my mom reached out to her friend and said that we'd really like to get Christy in the program and her friend said, "You'll never guess who's standing right in front of me. It's Dr. Nedley." Wow! So, Dr. Nedley said he had no intention of even being in Houston. He wasn't even sure why he was there. And then my mom's friend reached out, reached out to him, and they were able to get me into the program.
0: Mm.
3: So,
2: I'm just wondering if we can just step back a little bit. Um, there are some people who have experienced depression that can relate so much to what you're saying, but there'll be others as well, because I know I, I suffer from depression for a number of years, but preceding that, I had a very little concept of depression, and I just think, why can't people just snap out of it? But having gone <laughs> through it now, you just can't do that, because your your thoughts affect your body, your body affects your thinking, and it's a, it can be very da- a very downward spiral, so Is there anything that you can think in your life that triggered that for you? Or is it just something that you perhaps had a a disposition towards?
3: Uh, I know in my life I'd allowed a lot of um, influences in because Satan can only enter from a door that's open on the inside. Mm. And I was heavily involved in rock music, uh, different different all different styles of music that were good and some that were definitely not so good Uh, movies entertainment books uh, you know alcohol I was smoking cigarettes at one point Uh, pretty much any lust of the flesh I anything that felt good I was into
2: (laughs) right understand And uh, you spent a lot of time, so the books you were talking about, obviously these would be what, fiction or secular books rather than Christian literature?
3: That's correct. I really had no desire to read anything Christian at that point in time. Uh, It was all secular.
2: Mm. And it's interesting, there's a concept in the Bible that talks about people, you know, who have a, a, a Christian background and upbringing, that if they walk away from that, their condition is actually worse than it would have been if they'd never known anything about God. And uh, I, I know from my own experience that was, that was the case with me when I walked away from God, that my condition afterwards was worse than before. So was there any, any glimpses of light, anything in regards to the gospel or the power of God at that time when you were going through this depression that sort of would have counteracted somewhat the secular worldly influences that were taking you down this, this downward spiral?
3: At that point in time, I did not recognize it, or even if there had been, I did not see that.
2: Right. You, you wouldn't have recognized it, Un- understand. Okay. Now, you, you're getting obviously getting medical help, which is very important. If, if we, we don't say don't get medical help, of course, and uh, you you are in the medical facilities that are helping you with your depression, but it doesn't seem to be working.
3: Yes, that's absolutely correct. Mm. It was actually, uh, I would say, counterintuitive at that point. It was it was making things worse.
2: Wow. Okay, so you've tried the best that medicine can offer, and it's still not helping you. So you have this small glimmer of hope. I guess it's your parents, and then also the connection with Dr. Neil Nedley, who's had incredible success with depression, recovery, and anxiety recovery. Yes. Um, You then somehow get in contact and you believe it's providence just from what you're saying that, you know, your mum speaks to this person. He says you won't believe the Dr. Neil Endy is right here in Houston. He wasn't even planning on being there. And somehow a connection is made.
3: Yes. Perhaps you can pick
2: up the story from there again for us, please.
3: Uh, At that point, I was in this facility in Texas and my mom had contacted Leanne. She's the uh, nurse for Dr. Nedley that does the intake for participants for this his program and she called me while I was actually an inpatient in that facility now my mom had basically sold me on this program based that it would be a resort vacation in California <laughs>
2: <And> so, <laughs> <laughs> very cunning <laughs> so, I was like
3: sure that's great sign me up you know we get to hmm. hang out by the pool and you know just hang out or whatever but Clearly, when I had gotten to that program, that was not the case.
2: <laughs> okay. So perhaps you could t- take us through the program. You know, one of the things I'd love to do here is actually put a program on air here on 3AB in Australia radio that takes people step by step through this, this program. I know that if people attend the program, there's eight modules they go through. And I was thinking we could perhaps do um, 16 half modules and, and run people through it because I have attended some of these programs myself, and they are fascinating programs because they cover all aspects of your being. So it's not yes. just the mind. It is also the body. It's also the way you think. It's the other influences around you, all those factors, and, of course, ultimately the power of God that can transform and change lives. Amen. Okay, so you go yeah. to this program. You expect to uh, to go to a resort-style uh relaxation, and the program is a little bit different. But how does the program start impacting you, affecting you? And what was your response to it to start off with?
3: Well, my testimony is a little more um, complicated than maybe some people that go through the program, that it's almost gained a certain notoriety. Uh, Okay. (laughs) And I've become known there through the program, just through some of the stories, but we'll get to that. Great. Um, But basically, when I'd gotten there, I was relatively angry because I really wanted to smoke a cigarette quite honestly
2: Mm.
3: so uh, I had gotten there and I was pretty resistant from day one so
2: okay so how how does that resistance get broken down because ultimately participation in a program like that you know you need to have some level of cooperation and it sounds like initially you didn't really want to cooperate
3: yes that's correct um throughout the program i I had dealt a lot with social anxiety. And so some of the staff had actually picked up on this because I would go to lunch, I would go to dinner and then just beeline out of there. As soon as I was done eating, I didn't really want to talk to anyone. Uh, So they had picked up on some of these cues. And so my big, we call it misbeliefs in the program, just something that's not a rational thought is that I just don't fit in. Mm. And so I, I, was wanting to pack. I tried to leave the program several times and actually try to pack and go home. And so the staff would be working together and work together as a team and intervene. And so there was a person that was very pivotal to my story. Her name's Dr. Christina Harris. She's the chemistry director there at Weimar or the chair of the department, I should say. Okay. And she has her own testimony And that was one of her misbeliefs, and so she came up to my room. She was actually the director of that program that session. It was August 2016, and said that that was one of something she had also struggled with, and she started to cry on my bed. And my initial thought was, who is this? She's crazy. Why does she even care about me? She's crying over me, and we became we had quite a rapport after that.
2: Mm. So so this lady took a, a particular interest and you came and spoke to you in your room sitting on the bed and then while you're having the discussion she so much enters into what you're going through having had similar experiences herself that she yes. actually breaks down but that shows you the regard she had for you but you thought that was quite weird that anybody would care yes. that much about you
3: Absolutely, absolutely
2: wow okay so then uh, does that sort of start changing your mind about the program?
3: Basically, through the program, I still remained pretty resistant. Uh, There was other times that I actually tried to leave. They would hear me packing and the staff would intervene. Uh, One night in particular, I was very adamant and I had packed a bag and actually called a taxi to pick me up at the gate. Mm. And I was gonna book a hotel in Colfax and Dr. Nedley was called and he met me on the stairs And he said, we can't let you leave, in which I said, is this not a voluntary program? In which he said, it's voluntary until it becomes involuntary. (laughs) 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 And at that point, he was trying to logically reason with me. And he said that, has anything in this program harmed you from staying here? And I had to honestly think about that and say no but I said I still wanted to leave and he said then I'll have to admit you to the Sacramento psych facility and I said that'd be fine I'd fit in there Mm. and he decided to call my parents because that would be considered a change in condition and I would be considered I guess in critical condition and my parents opted to do anything it took to keep me there and Dr. Nedley was confident that he could still work with me and Two of the staff, Christina and Priscilla, the nurse for the program at that time, slept outside my room to make sure that I would be okay.
2: Wow, that is incredible. So it was touch and go whether you would actually stay in the program or leave at that time. Yes. Yes. But the commitment of the staff, I mean, that's just incredible that you'd have two staff outside just to look after you. Because at that time, because of the depression, I mean, mentally, your mind wasn't really functioning where it should right. be to, to, to critically assess and analyze things. And they still had exactly. to work very carefully with you at the stage to try and get you out of that deep depressive state and also the anxiety that you were suffering at the time.
3: That's correct.
2: Mm. So how many days into this program was this now?
3: This was... Approximately day seven, I believe. So there was only about three days left of the program. So by the time I finally actually was engaged, there was only three days left.
2: (laughs) Wow. So seven days, a whole week had gone by and uh, only then do you start engaging a little bit.
3: Yes, that's Hmm. correct.
2: So was there anything that started just changing your mind or changing you the way you viewed the program? At day seven, was there anything specific, or was it just that slowly but surely everything that they were doing there, including the the dietary stuff and the exercise and so on, was actually having an effect?
3: It was all the above. Uh, It's such a comprehensive program, but what really changed my heart and changed my mind was seeing the love of Christ through the people in that program. Uh, I've honestly felt that they truly cared, and I know that they still do. Mm. And I could feel the love of Christ just in their words and the way that they treated me and others.
2: So that more than anything else? Yes. Wow. So there'd be many people out there, and dear listener, you may be one of those those people who feels there that there's no one that really cares that much about you. But we know that Christ Demonstrated his life uh, Love We actually read there In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 That God demonstrated His love to us That while we were yet sinners Christ died for us So God cares God loves you And those who really love God And given their life to the Lord Also have the love of God Shared abroad in their heart It says in the same chapter In verse 5 Romans 5 and verse 5 That the love of God Is shared abroad In the lives of those Who have received the Holy Spirit And Christy We just want to thank you For sharing your testimony so far What we want to do now Dear listeners Let's just go on a short break I am with Christy Christopher All the way from Fort Worth in Texas via Skype And she's sharing her testimony About struggling with alcoholism And even some drug addiction And and, and having tried to take her life five times And how God then miraculously Through this great program of Dr. Neil Nedley Was able to change and transform her life Now we're only halfway through the program So stay tuned And we'll be right back after these messages absolutely true story. A young man was flying in a military plane above Idaho during World War II when the plane hit turbulence and he was thrown against the door of the cockpit and went out at 20,000 feet. But his shoelaces caught on something inside the cockpit. He was hanging from the plane above the earth and he prayed, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will serve you forever. Next thing, he was thrown back up into the cockpit. The door slammed shut behind him. He told me this story. got back on the ground, committed himself to God, and became a minister of the gospel. Psalm 119 verse 146 says, I cried unto thee, save me, and I will keep thy testimonies. Don't know if you've fallen out of a plane, but God has saved you. What can you give him? Start by giving him your heart completely. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. Dear listener, welcome back You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony And I have a special guest via Skype from Fort Worth in Texas Her name is Christy Christopher And just before the break, Christy was telling us about her uh, life of struggling with depression Also alcoholism, she had been brought up in a Christian environment but never really ascribed to it and had a lot of secular influence. As a matter of fact, all the influences she had in her life based on her choice and and also desire for for things was to do with movies and music and so forth. Now, just before the break, Christy, you were telling us that you'd went to this program that had been sold to you as a resort-style vacation, at Dr. Neil Nedley's recovery program at Weimar Institute in California. And when you get there, it's anything but a resort-style institute. It's actually quite an intensive program of training, but a holistic program that covers every aspect of your well-being. So it's the mental, the physical, the spiritual. So it covers dietary requirements, um, health uh, aspects like getting fresh air and sunlight and eating healthy and getting enough sleep. And you're there for seven days. And you want to pack up your bags and go. And it's really by around about day seven that you realize that these people really cared about you and were interested in your well-being. That the love of God, as demonstrated by the people at this facility, started changing your mind. So perhaps you can pick up the story there a little bit for us again, please.
3: At that point, I was much more engaged. I was willing to actually try to do the elements of the program. And it... About halfway through the program, there's what we call a burning. It's on a Wednesday night, and you put things into the fire that you're wanting to basically give up in your life.
2: Now, what do you do at a burning? Do you write things down on a piece of paper and then throw it into the fire, and that sort of burns it up? It's sort of symbol, some symbolism of getting rid of the past in in in, in a certain aspects. So, how does that work?
3: Yes, you pretty much the burning. You can put papers in the fire. You can write down things in the fire. Most people write things on paper, but I've seen anything from medications to coffee to alcohol go into that fire.
2: Wow. Okay. Alcohol would add to the fire, obviously. So. Yes. <laughs> right. And this is something they do outside?
3: Yes. It's something outside.
2: Okay. So you've just gone through this experience. So what sort of impact did it have on you? What happened?
3: Uh, at that point in time, I'd opted to put meat into the fire because... I was eating meat pretty heavily uh, and in the program they advocate for a vegan diet because there's a lot of studies that have been done on that vegan diet and mental health.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And so at that point I put meat into the fire. Uh, I'd also put uh, my relationships with men into the fire, which were unhealthy. So I put that in as well. and uh, there's a few other things, but those are the two big ones. I believe also cigarettes I put into the fire.
2: Okay, so at this point in time, you were still smoking. You were still drinking at at that time as well or not?
3: Uh, I was not drinking, but I was smoking.
2: Okay. So you put all these things in the fire. You have this burning, and is that sort of a, a positive stepping stone for you moving forwards after going through this process?
3: Yes, it was, although I did take a few steps back and still struggled. It was definitely a positive impact.
2: Okay. So you go through this burning. Is that on the last day of the program?
3: It's actually in the middle of the program. So it's a pretty pivotal point for most participants.
2: Okay. Right. So you have the stepping stone. What happened subsequent to that?
3: Uh, After that point, Dr. Nudley had suggested that I stay in the program since it's a 10 day program. And for me, it was really a three day program uh, once I was actively engaged Mm. and I told Doctor Nedley I'll think about it, but really in my head I was like, "No, I'm going home," because I had a date with a, a boy at the time.
2: Right. Okay. So you're in California. You're heading back. Where are you living at the time?
3: Uh, Fort Worth, Texas.
2: Okay. okay. So you got to go all the way back to Texas. That, that's not a short drive, is it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was actually actually I flew, but it was uh, it was still about a three hour flight. So.
2: Three hour flight all the way back for a date. And uh, you just burnt, obviously, relationships in the fire, so you're obviously hoping this would be a positive relationship. Yes. You go over, you have this date. How long were you back home? Because you were telling me just during the break that you actually ended up going back to the program at some stage.
3: Yes. I was home for about a week, and then I realized that, I needed to go back. Uh, I was trying to keep up a lot of the elements of the program, which physical activity is a big one. Mm. So I was actually staying with my parents at the time at their house in Burleson, Texas, and I was running through the neighborhood doing the exercise component, and I ran past the water tower that reads Bethesda. And I I was turning the corner, there's a water tower at Weimar, and it reminded me of that, and it said SDA on the side as I turned the corner. So I said, okay, God, uh, I'm running, I'm running for myself, I'm running from you, but wherever I, wherever I am, or wherever I go, there I am, so I really can't run. And I started to run the opposite direction, and I noticed the house of a physician that's a Seventh-day Adventist, and it was somebody that Pastor Don, who does the spiritual component in the program, had suggested I get to know. Hmm. So there's their house. So anywhere I turned, I was reminded of Weimar and my need to go back.
2: So God was using all these cues to put into your mind that— He's drawing you He wants you to go back And just by simple natural means Like he's saying Even Bethesda You know Bethesda is the place Where Jesus healed Someone that had uh, Been suffering Of the palsy They said for 38 years And uh, then of course There was also The SDA factor And also the person's house A person that Pastor Don McIntosh Had mentioned to you As a person You you should get to know And you're you'd running Through the neighborhood Just doing your exercise And here you are Right where the person's house is
3: Yes That's correct
2: Incredible. Okay, so you pack your bags and you head back for California.
3: Yes, I head back to California. They basically had to create a program while the program was not going on. So they bent over backwards to try to accommodate uh, that way. Wow. So uh, I was able to actually get off. I was on some other medications as well. I was on Adderall um, and a few other medications, I believe some antidepressants as well and over that course also trazodone for sleep and through the program and through the power of the holy spirit uh, dr nudley was able to work to get me off of all those medications
2: well praise the lord but these medications beforehand were vital to keep your mind stable so that you do not harm yourself and sink into a real deep state of depression correct So now the program and the effects of all the natural therapies and also the the input of spiritual light, I call it light because for me, when I was in depression, I just thought that my thoughts were continually dark, that it was the light of the gospel shining into my mind through a number of means that was able to transform and change my thinking. So you go through this process now. This is a a second 10-day program that they've modified for you because it was outside of their regular scheduled programs. Right and you start getting the benefits of that.
3: Yes, Uh, at that point, Dr. Nedley's nurse, Priscilla Santos, actually offered to have Bible studies with me. So what really changed my heart also was the sanctuary model and Mm -hmm. seeing that God and sin could not coexist and that he would come as close as he could to me and each one of us in his temple, that that's how much he loves us. So that really changed my mind on a lot of things.
2: Wow. So it was actually a model, which is an Old Testament model that uh, God used to teach them his way. It says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. So he taught them his way, and his incredible love for fallen humanity. And you understanding that model of love, that also was one of the key pivotal factors in, in changing your outlook on life and also... Actually, helping you heal and recover from depression and anxiety that you'd experienced for most of your life.
3: Yes, that is correct.
2: Mm. So, can you sort of maybe just tell us the difference between your before and after experience? You know, once this program kicks in and you receive all the benefits from it, what was your life like before and what was it like
3: after? Before the program, I was pretty much looking for a quick fix a lot of the time. Uh, I I really was addicted to a lot of different things, and so I would look for just an easy way to feel better. And after the program, I realized that there's a lot more uh, long-term things to look at, to look more comprehensively at life, to see the silver lining in, in things, and to see the hand of God in my life and other people's lives. And there's so much good in life. And I was so blind to it before.
2: Mm, It's interesting you say there's so much good in life. So there were things, good things happening around you when you were in depression. Were you able to see those things at the time?
3: At the time, when I was in depression, I was not able to see those things. I pretty much was—I felt like I was spiritually blind and also— Kind of stuck in a rut, almost.
2: Mm, it's incredible. There's a there's a a book revelation. and Actually, the name of the program comes from Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, where it says, "And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death." Now. In the beginning of the book of Revelation There is seven churches mentioned From chapter 2 right through to chapter 3 Chapter 3 finishes with the seven churches And the last church that I mentioned there Is a church called the Church of the Laodiceans Which is not a hot church It is not a cold church It is a lukewarm church And then God through Jesus Christ Offers them three things they need So that they can not be naked So they cannot be poor And they cannot be blind So there's three things they they impoverish. They naked and they blind, and one of the things about the blindness, he asks that they get from him um, an eye self, that they can anoint their eyes so they may see. So it sounds like God, in this through this process, which it covers a spiritual dimension, has anointed your eyes so that you can see things you couldn't see previously that were there, but you were just blind to them.
3: Right, right. Mm. Uh, a lot of what helped too is I was rebaptized, and. As a result of this program and, and that the Holy Spirit has just been much more in my life. I've allowed him to come into my life in a much different way.
2: Okay. So you're saying you rebaptized. You were baptized previously. Perhaps you can tell us just I what was. age you were and, and what made you to, uh, take that step of baptism at that time.
3: I was 11 the first time I was baptized. Quite and young. And that was mm-hmm. actually here in Texas by Pastor Jim Gilley, incidentally. Okay. And... Uh, he had baptized me the first time
2: right okay now we we spoke just during the break very briefly about uh your life as a as a young person Uh, would you say you'd be the kind of person that could make friends very easily back then
3: Uh, Back then, I I could, but I more would change who I was to fit in. So I could make friends, but I wasn't really who I was.
2: Okay, so you you could easily adapt, but you became someone who you weren't for the sake of um, being friends with other people.
3: Right, right.
2: Okay, well, dear listener, you might be able to relate to that as well. There are many people who are able to adapt very quickly, but then they stay in that adapted state. They're actually not naturally who they are. So really, it's, it's not really their real existence because uh, people don't get to know them personally because they, they're someone else. They're masquerading. So thank you for bringing that out. Now, you said you moved around as a child as well. Did that have an, an effect on your relationships with people?
3: Yes, I was afraid to trust people at that point because I would get close to people and then uh, I wouldn't have them nearby anymore. And so the relationships would begin, but then they would be they would be shut off uh, abruptly, basically, okay. or and cut short abruptly.
2: And then you'd have to start and develop new friends again. And, and uh, I don't know if you've moved around, dear listener, but at times uh, we moved around as, as well when we were, uh, we were young with my dad's work. And uh, you'd start a new friendship, but the friendship wouldn't have those deep roots because, you know, they'll just be shallow friendships. And after a while of moving around quite a lot, that's the only friendships you know how to actually develop. And that can also have an effect on a person's well-being. Funny enough, you should, uh, should bring that up, uh, Christy, because I, I was just looking at something last night. And they were saying the number one factor for longevity with all the other health factors, they all play a part. The number one factor is actually social interaction.
3: Ah, that mm. would
2: make sense <laughs> yeah so that that's very powerful so okay so so friendships were a- a affected, and then of course you had all these other 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 factors um, having having an effect on your your well being so the Lord steps in and transforms your life, and I can attest to that because we 're friends on Facebook, and uh, after our uh, trip together with the group over in the Bible lands, I can say that I can see it 's not difficult for you to make friends at all. And my wife and myself have become friends with you on Facebook, and you put many positive things on there that encourage us, and I've liked so many things that you've put there, and even some of the questions you asked. So you're obviously a deep thinker now, and the Lord has transformed and changed your lives, and it just radiates out of everything you say and you do. So I want to praise Praise God. Yeah, praise God for that. So uh, pick up the story. um, You've done day 10, and the Lord starts... A, a new life for you, and you have started walking down that path. Maybe just tell us a little bit more about that.
3: So after the program, it is a 20-week program. So it's 10 days initially, and it continues for an additional 20 weeks total. Okay. So you are given a discharge summary at that point, and it's tailored to each individual. So I had my own tailored plan, and you were to follow that at home. So I was able by the grace of God to follow that program. And at around February of last year, Dr. Nedley had called me at home to see how things were going. And he invited me to actually speak at the EQ summit and tell my testimony to people there. So uh, subsequently I've actually been the nurse for the depression recovery four times now. I'll be going back at the end of March, the beginning of April and it's been an incredible blessing to see people's lives transformed by the power of God in this program and to work with God because ultimately it's His program. And to be a part of that has been such an amazing blessing and privilege in my life.
2: Mm, praise the Lord. So you were saying that, you know, with what this program has done and off- offered you through lifestyle and also through the power of God in your life. You no longer have to be on any medication. No, and that's correct. And uh, th- those those depressive thoughts and the symptoms that come with that—is is that all gone now?
3: It's there's still some days that I do struggle occasionally. I mean, life is not perfect, but sure, compared to what it was, it's—I don't even know who that person is anymore that initially went through the program. Mm. And when I hear stories about who I was before it doesn't even seem real
2: really does it sound and like so a stranger like someone else
3: it, it does it does and i praise god for that because i don't ever want to go back to that person mm. so it's literally feels like someone else
2: well look it's very clear to me when i follow your your facebook posts and the interactions we've had subsequent to the the trip to to israel that uh, your life has been changed and transformed and you've uh, you've 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 given your life to the Lord, it's very clear And the text that comes to mind for me is the one found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 Where Paul beseeches us to, uh, by the mercies of God And God has been very merciful to you, just like He has to me And dear listener, he, he, he wants to be merciful to you as well If you have not received that as well, I want to encourage you I want to beseech you, as Paul says, to be transformed by God's grace and His mercy and he says there that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So that means you surrender everything to the Lord and you live a life um, that is dedicated to him. And it says "Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service so, or your reasonable act of worship, some translation says. But verse 2 is one, Christy, that has really impacted my mind. And I can attest to it just like you can that God is able to transform the way we think. And it says, do not be conformed to this world So you were telling us before in your testimony That uh, the magazines, the books, the movies, the music That was all the worldly stuff that was going into your mind Actually didn't help your state If anything, it took you the wrong way And made you depressed And made you anxious It says, do not be conformed to this world But be transformed by the renewing of your mind That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God So God has transformed your mind through this program, and it sounds like you are now helping others to go through the same steps that you've gone through so that God can impact their life in a positive way. Perhaps you can tell us just a little bit about that and how how your experience has been with helping others.
3: It's been an incredible blessing to work in that program in that regard because it's explained that the number one change agent is empathy, and so to be able to be on this journey with others as they are experiencing similar things has been an incredibly healing process. Uh, to actually be able to use some of my story that is not so good, and God can use it to His glory to help someone else. Romans 8:28, I truly believe that, that we know that all things work to those the good of those who love the Lord. Uh, really has come true through this program and in my life. So being able to connect with others in that way, being able to truly be with them and their feelings of depression and anxiety and be able to give them a beacon of hope
0: Mm. that there
3: is a way out and that it can be cured is an incredible witness to God's power. And it actually helps them as well as myself. So it, it God's blessings you can never outgive God, and I go to bless, but ultimately I get blessed through the participants and seeing their life changed
2: well that that is remarkable that your uh, bad experiences God has turned into a positive thing where you can now help other people and you can relate to what they're going through because you, you mean you still recall what your life was like before that time, but you're saying you're such a different person now it almost seems that that person's a little bit of a stranger, but in helping others. God is actually using this process to help you and and even strengthen you even further in regards to a full recovery. So we, we praise God for your testimony. What we want to do now is just go on a quick break to share our contact details. So dear listener, don't go away. We'll be right back after this.
1: Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 24973 Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you.
2: Dear listener, welcome back. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony and my special guest via Skype from Fort Worth in Texas is Christy Christopher, And Christy's just been sharing her life journey, how she struggled with depression and alcoholism and quite a few things. Her life was so bad that at at one stage in her life, she tried to take her life, to commit suicide. She didn't only try once. She tried five times. And then finally, through God's providence, she was led to this program called Dr. Niels Nettie Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program. And this program she uh, went in, uh, was sold to her as a resort-style program. And then when she got there, it was anything but a resort-style. And uh, it was a 10-day program she joined. And it's only really in day seven that she started this program. It started having an effect on her life. She only had three days, came back, did another program. And she's recovered so well that she no longer needs any of that medication. Her mind is positive. God has transformed her by the renewing of her mind. And she's now able to help other people because she has a nursing background to help other people on this program. She says as she's giving and sharing with other people who are also recovering from depression, God is just blessing her through this whole process. So, Christy, just in wrapping up, if people want to know more about Dr. Neil Nedley's Depression Recovery Program. Can they find him on the web somewhere?
3: Yes, it's depressionthewayout.com.
2: Depressionthewayout.com. So, dear listener, take that down, and if you uh, forget that, uh, you're welcome just to contact us here at 3 ABN and using those contact details we we, we shared before. So it's depressionthewayout, all one word, .com.
3: Yes.
2: Christy, just before we go, is there any words of encouragement you can share with our listener out there today?
3: Uh, God has a plan for each of our lives. And I cling to the Bible text that he is the author and finisher of our faith.
0: Mm, And
3: he is a God of free will and free choice. And he stands at the door and knocks. And if you let him in, He has many blessings for your life.
2: Mm, Thank you very much for that. It is very encouraging. You were just quoting there from Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews is one of my favorite books, actually. Uh, We are told in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 that we have a high priest who can sympathize with all our weaknesses. Why can he? Because he was tempted in all as we are yet without sin. So because he has been tempted, he is able to to save us from all. All our experiences Even if it's depression Because I mean you read some of the Psalms there Jesus' thoughts on the cross Were very depressing And he somehow through that by grace And faith in his father Was able to move through that And it tells us that we can then Come boldly to the throne of grace To obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So if you're going through a difficult time at the moment, if, you, if you're suffering from depression or anxiety, it could be social anxiety, whatever the anxiety is that you're experiencing, we know that God's grace is sufficient and it's able to help you in your time of need. And if that time of need is now, by the grace of God, is able to transform and change your life. Now, you mentioned before that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus authored faith. So when you exercise faith, it is a gift from God. You don't have to try and manufacture it yourself. Just receive that gift of faith from Jesus Christ who is the author of faith. Matter of fact, that's Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 and 3. If you go to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9, it says that after Jesus had been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So Jesus is able to give us the ability to obey And he's able to do that because he authored salvation for you and for me. So Christy Christopher, thank you for joining us today and sharing your testimony about how God has transformed and changed your life. What a remarkable transformation from someone who felt that life was not worth living and five times tried to take their life. God was able to sustain them somehow. And now you're able to impact other lives positively and for God's kingdom. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your time.
3: Thank you so much. It was a privilege to be here. I appreciate uh, being able to be on this program.
2: Thank you. And we look forward to keeping in touch with you on Facebook and seeing all those positive things you put on there to encourage people. And thank you for being an encouragement and such a positive witness for this program that helps so many people and also a witness for Jesus Christ and how he can change lives. So, dear listener, we look forward to you joining us again next time. And may God guide, lead and bless you until then. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. We hope you enjoy the short presentation on the history of the
4: Reformation from lineagejourney.com. As we trace back our spiritual lineage to the early centuries we find the christian church a maligned religion it was not popular many of the christians in the early centuries paid the ultimate price for their faith with their lives the colosseum in rome stands today as a testament of this fact under pagan rome The Christian church struggled along, but one thing was sure. The intensity of the persecution kept the church free from nominal and lukewarm Christians. If you were a Christian, you had to be all in. There was no middle ground. But in the fourth century, an event would come along that would change all of that dramatically. The conversion of Constantine changed the course of history for the whole of Christendom, and the roots of that come down here to York, England. In 306 A.D., Constantine was declared emperor here. His father, Constantinus, was in Britain from 305 to 306 A.D., and Constantine was with him until his death. He was then declared emperor, but it was not to be a smooth sailing. There were counterclaims to the emperorship from Licinius and Maxentius. And it was before a battle with Maxentius that Constantine felt he needed more help than just the soldiers he had, and so he sought the help of God. He believed he saw a cross in the sky and heard the words, by this sign you shall conquer. He took this as a sign to convert to Christianity, and a major switch began to take place. Rome would go from being pagan to papal, from paganism to professed Christianity. Many historians debate the authenticity of Constantine's conversion. Was it a deep-rooted biblical conviction, or was it a political ploy to keep a divided empire together? One thing is sure, though, that after his conversion, practices crept into the church that previously had no place there. Temples that were pagan were changed to Christian. The pantheon in Rome was changed into a Christian church. And the names of gods were changed to Christian saints. For example, Jupiter became Saint Peter, and the list goes on. While some were happy for these changes and welcomed the lack of persecution and their newfound status, there were many Christians all over Europe who resisted these changes. For them, the persecution continued as they stayed out of line with the Mother Church. These were Christians who were maintaining the pure apostolic faith that was handed down to them over the years. There were scattered groups of people all over Europe in northern Italy, in southern France, the Celtic church here in Britain, and in various other places. The Bible refers to them as the church in the wilderness in Revelation chapter 12, verses 6 and 14. They were not always the biggest, they were not always the largest, but God would always have a people that were true to him and that were faithful to his word. And so from this point on, two branches of the church would emerge the recognized, the mainstream, but the compromised church, and then the persecuted, often the smaller, but the pure church. The question for us today is, which one of these two are we a part of? May we never compromise truth for popularity. May we be faithful to God and to his word, no matter what the situation is.
2: To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com. Did you know the angels were created before mankind was created? In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 we read, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. If angels were created after man and not before man, the text would have read that angels were created a little higher than man. But now we read that man was created a little lower than the angels, showing the sequence in God's creation. As a matter of fact, we read in Job 38 verse 7 that the morning stars who are the angels sang together and shouted for joy when man was created. So angels predate us, but what kind of beings are angels? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7 tells us that God made His angels spirits and His ministers a flame of fire. Angels are luminous spirit beings, and they are very powerful beings who gladly do the will of God. We read in Psalms 103 verse 20, Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, Heeding the voice of his word. So angels are powerful spirit beings who do the will of God. What exactly are angels responsible for? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says that angels are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Yes, God sends his angels to minister to you and to me so that we will inherit salvation. Why not thank him for giving us his holy angels? Who, though unseen, minister to us daily. I'm Etienne McClintock for Bible 180, where God sets your journey in a new and positive direction.